Good morning. It's very good to worship with you this morning. Um, my wife and family and I have been a, a part of the congregation here with you for the last year and a half. And um, it's, every once in a while I have some friends that ask me, what, what about First Baptist drew you there? Why are you a part of First Baptist Church, Jefferson City? And there's a lot of things about this congregation that attracted my wife and I and our, our boys here. But at the top of the list, I always let people know, I so respect and admire the heart that this congregation has for those folks outside the church walls. The way that this congregation shares God's love in the city, around the state and country, and the, the ends of the earth, this really is so compelling to me. We, we all know that, that there's so much brokenness, so much um, hurt and pain in this world. And for a congregation like this one to really take seriously the, the Great Commission and to really take seriously the, the opportunity to take God's love beyond just ourselves and share it with people in need, that's, that's so, um, that, that just attracts me, attracts my family. And I know there's so many other people out there that want to be a part of a group of people like this that take that seriously. So, Carol and I are honored to be a part of this congregation, to worship with you and serve alongside you. Uh, I know many of you, but I obviously don't know all of you. Um, I work at the Food Bank for Central and Northeast Missouri in Columbia. Before that, I served 12 years as an associate pastor at Memorial Baptist Church in Columbia. My wife, Carolyn, she teaches reading in Ashland, where we live, and uh, she does a great job at that. And our three sons, our three boys, they are full-time professional boys. They do all the things that boys do. Our house is full of the sights and sounds and smells that, that boys bring into the house. So we're very thankful to be here and be a part of your congregation. One of the things boys love to do is see things blow up, see things explode. So they've been having fun the last few days especially Friday night. They got to be a part of uh, watching the fireworks over the river, as many of you probably did as well. And this time of year is so exciting um, as we just think of all the ways that we celebrate our freedom as Americans. It's impossible to miss all the red, white, and blue that's around, uh, see the flags flying in the breeze, and the different opportunities to, to shoot off fireworks and have our neighbors shoot off fireworks, even if it might be two or three in the morning. But the things that go along with Fourth of July as we celebrate freedom as Americans is, is, is unique, you know, and special. And this morning's message is about freedom, but, but I hope you go with me a little bit different than just what, what we've been celebrating in the last few days. We've had the opportunity and the privilege to celebrate our freedom as a nation, but this morning, we're going to look at some words of Jesus about the freedom that, that God desires for each one of us as an individual to be able to experience, no matter if we're an American or an Ethiopian or a German or whatever it might be. So I, I invite you to, to travel down that road with me in just a few minutes. But before I, I get to the, the scripture passage for this morning, I have to tell you, I, I had to study for this morning. I had to do some history Studying. I wasn't the greatest history student, and I had to look into some Revolutionary War history. I really was hoping to find someone from the Revolutionary War that kind of captured those things about what it meant to fight for freedom, what it meant to be brave and have guts and determination 
because they yearn for freedom so much. And as I was doing my studying of American history, I came across some names that, oh yeah, I, I remember that person from years ago. Probably some names you remember. Of course, you know, folks like Paul Revere and Molly Pitcher, Salem Poor, many others. But I came across one name in particular that I'd never heard before. I'd be curious if you heard, heard this person's name before, who had a unique name and also a, a unique story in the Revolutionary War. His name is Prince Whipple. Prince Whipple was his name. And his story goes like this. He was born in Africa. He's a black man. And for the first 10 years of his life, he, he lived in his own country, enjoyed the freedom that he had there. But when he was about 10 years old, his family and, and he were swindled into getting on an, an, a, a ship that was born for America. He thought he was going for one purpose, but the crooked uh, boat captain changed things. And by the time he got to America, the, the whole idea was he was prince, this young boy was tricked into being sold as a slave. So he kept his, his first name, Prince, but as was the custom back then, he took on the, name, the last name of the person that owned him, his master. And he was taken by a gentleman who was a general at that time. His name was General Whipple. So Prince Whipple came to America as a 10-year-old boy. Time passed, years passed, and the Revolutionary War began. And by this time, Prince Whipple was a young man. And the general was getting ready for war, thinking about what might take place, what might happen. And the general looked at his servant, looked at his slave, this young man, and he said, if we ever encounter combat, if we run into to fighting, I expect you to stand beside me and battle alongside me and fight with me for the revolutionary cause. And what Prince Whipple said in reply captured my attention. It's recorded that he said to his master, looking up at this man that controlled him and owned him, he said, Sir, I have no inducement to fight, but if I had my liberty, I would endeavor to defend it to the last drop of my blood. So basically, here's this young man who has, has no authority, no right of his own, but he has the guts, he has the, the, the fire in his heart to look at this man that owns him and says, no reason to fight. I have no desire to fight. But if I can be free, I'll fight until I drop, until the last drop of blood falls from my body. I want freedom again. He remembered what it was like to be a, a little boy back in Africa and to experience that freedom, and he so badly wanted to return to that. He was willing to do whatever it took to be free again. And as we turn our attention to some words that Jesus said about freedom, I, I ask you to keep Prince Whipple in the back of your mind. The guts that it took to speak up to his master. The desire he had within him to, no matter what, he wanted to be free. And there's some lessons that we can take from that as well. We're going to look at John chapter 8 this morning together. The Gospel of John, starting in verse 31. And I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, if you'd like to follow along. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. 
Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There is so much packed into these few verses here. I I honestly, I've really struggled to figure out how can I communicate, how how can God speak to us this morning where, where I don't get in the way and just bog this down so much. But it really seems like there, there are three key words, three powerful words in this passage that everything revolves around. There's the word truth, there's the word sin, and then there's the word freedom. It seems like everything that Jesus says here relates in some way or another there. Truth, sin, freedom. And if you'll go along with me down the road for a little bit, I thought about, you know, what, what does each, word, each of these words represent? And I, I started, well, maybe kind of, if we look at this, maybe almost as a movie script, if you will. And, and we have a couple of characters in this movie. And one of them is truth. And truth wears the white hat. Truth is the hero. Truth is what we all want to be rooting for. It's what we all want to be a part of. That's truth. And then, of course, sin on the other side is all that we know about sin. Evil, dark, the villain. A lot of times it's ugly and up in our face, but more often it's, it hides in the bushes. It waits for an opportune time to jump. And the whole thing about sin is that it wants to take truth down and bury it. That's sin's job. That's the only thing that sin wants in this movie that we're thinking about is I've got to get truth and bury it. I've got to hide the truth. I've got to keep it down. And then there's freedom. And of course, freedom is, is what we hope to ride off to into at the end of our movie. It's, it's more than, than the freedom that we experience as Americans. But the freedom that Jesus was talking about is, is the idea that we can experience the full life a life without burden, a life without worry, a life that is honest and truthful, a life that's connected with God. So if, if you would you just kind of walk down that road with me of, of truth, sin, and freedom, and, and think about how those things inter, interact in our lives. I have to think about Jesus' words in verse 32. Jesus really kind of spelled out, how do we get to freedom? How do we ride off into that sunset? He, he made it very clear. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So to get to freedom, to be able to experience that true life that Jesus wants for every one of us, we've got to get to that, that truth part. We've got to live in truth. We've got to understand that and have that comprehended. But how do we get there? Jesus said, if you obey my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, your version say, if, if you obey my word. And in that just little phrase, there's so much wrapped up in there. The original Greek uses a word called logos when it talks about word or teaching. And the idea is that 
Jesus is talking more about a relationship than He is about a bunch of rules. When I first hear this passage, I think, okay, if I hold to Jesus' teaching, if I, if I follow the, the Ten Commandments, if I don't do this or that or the other, if, that, if, if I balance out my do's and my don'ts and, and check off the th- right things on the list, then I will, I will know truth. Then I'll reach this freedom. And that, that doesn't get all of what Jesus is talking about here. The underlying theme here, if we focused our attention, turn the pages over to John chapter 15. There's a passage there that, that some of us are familiar with about Jesus describing himself as being the true vine. And he paints this great picture. He says, Jesus is the vine, and all of us are the branches that are connected with the vine. And as long as we keep that relationship, as long as we stay in touch with Jesus, then our lives are fruitful. They're meaningful. They're significant. It's all about that relationship with the vine, that relationship with Jesus. But in John 15, Jesus pointed out, if that relationship ends, if our connection with God is cut off, then our lives become empty and hollow. And then you may know what that feels like, to kind of search for something, to grasp, to look. I've got to find meaning in my life. Where's it at? So this idea here of where it starts for us is staying connected with Jesus, sticking with God. And we could spend a whole other sermon or sermon series on what that looks like. Just quickly on the side note, that's why it's so important for us as we strive to stay connected to God and hear God's voice in our lives together and worship together like this. It's so important during the week to crack open our Bibles or open the, the app on our phone to read Scripture and meditate on it so that God's voice can speak into our lives during the week. It's so important to take that time to pray, not only to voice what's in our hearts to God, but to hear God speak into our lives. So that day by day, we're sticking with Jesus, we're connected to the vine, with all the other voices in this world around us trying to distract us, or or bury the truth, or cover things up. That will help us hear God's voice so that we have an idea of what truth is. Of course, we, we can't discount the evil villain in, in this whole scenario. The sin that's lurking to the side day by day, constantly there, constantly a struggle for us to get past. And Jesus made the statement that I think all of us would nod our head and agree with, everyone that sins is a slave to sin. And there's no word around, there's no way around that word, everyone, all of us. I think we're all real enough to know, yeah, we have our struggles, we have our issues. Depending on how long you, you've uh, been a Christian or been a church-going person, you probably have a good, good list of the things that you struggle with. I could, I could share my laundry list with you here. But all of us face sin. All of us can become slaves of sin so easily. And again, sin's desire is to bury the truth, to keep us from from feeling freedom. And it's, I'll be honest with you, at this part of the sermon, I really struggled for what to say next. Because there are so many different directions. All of us in this room, when we think about sin and, and the truth in our lives, there are hundreds of different things in this room that are in our minds right now. 
Some can be very big and deep and heavy. And some of, some of them much more manageable. So I struggle to think about what, what kind of illustration can I share? What can I say that, that kind of gets the point across of what it looks like when sin starts burying truth? And we get into that trap maybe in, in one or two conversations, maybe in one or two actions, where before we know it, we don't have freedom anymore. We're being oppressed. We're being held back. We're, we're living secrets. We're living a life that, that disconnects us from God. And I tried this illustration out in the first service. Nobody threw anything at me and, and everything went okay. So we're going to go with it a second time with you guys. Um, but I heard a story once of a guy that lived in a neighborhood, just like a lot of you do. And this uh, gentleman was a dog owner. And every day, it was the ritual to let his dog out, to go let his dog do his business like any dog needs to do. So it came the evening time. The, the homeowner let his dog out, shut the door. You know, minutes passed, quite a while passed. And then the, the owner heard the dog scratching at the door. So just like normal, he went and opened the door to let the dog back in the house. And the owner was mortified when he saw what was in the dog's mouth. He opened the door and standing there was his good, perfect dog with his neighbor's cat in its mouth. And the guy, the neighbor, he knew, oh my gosh, my neighbor loved that cat. What am I going to do? The cat was dead. There was no life in the cat. It was gone. Dirty, matted fur, just, you know, not a pretty sight. So, so the man started frantically thinking, what can I do? What can I do? And like any good neighbor, he's like, okay, how can I cover this up so my neighbor won't know what really happened? So he thought, okay, I'll, I'll get the cat. I'll take it inside. I'll wash it off. Don't know if that's the best plan or not, but that's what he did. He took it inside, washed it off, got it underwater, ran it um, through the bathtub, got it out of the bathtub. It was cleaner, soaking wet. He dried it off, did the best he could, fluffed out its fur, smoothed out its, its fur. Now what? He has, he has a dead cat. It's clean. It looks a little bit better. But what do I do with it now? So by this time, it was dark outside, like, okay, I'll, I'll sneak over to my neighbor's house, I'll put the cat down on the, the front step on the porch, and I'll sneak back home. So that's what he did. Made it to the neighbors, terrified the lights were going to come on, that the neighbor would see him, the whole thing. But he made it. He, he put the cat down quietly, snuck back into his house, closed the door, locked the door. <sighs> All right, I made it. Went to bed, didn't get much sleep that night at all, kind of tossed and turned. Woke up the next morning, still on his mind, just kind of the worry, and oh, will the secret stay safe? Will somebody find out about it? Then a few minutes after breakfast time, he got a knock on his door. Peeked around the corner, looked around the door. Uh Uh-oh, it's the neighbor. Oh my goodness. Thought about just leaving the door shut. But he went ahead, okay, I've got to open the door. Good morning. His neighbor, the cat owner, 
said, good morning. Hey, strangest thing happened yesterday. My cat died and I buried it, and it showed back up on my porch last night, all clean and everything. <laughs> I don't know if that's a true story or not. I, I don't know. It's a good story. The thing, that story makes us chuckle, and I'm glad it does. But if, if we put ourselves in that dog owner's shoes for a minute, and we see how quickly that sin tries to bury the truth, and how quickly we become a slave when the anxiety builds, when there's a secret we're trying to keep, when truth doesn't come out, how, how that just can control us. I've walked that road before in different ways. You may have too. But the thing is, is for all of us, sin is there, reaching at our lives. Often in subtle ways, sometimes in big, ugly ways. This morning, I have no idea. I'm actually kind of upset with God about preaching on this passage because I hate dealing with sin. It makes me look in the mirror. forces all of us to look in the mirror. I have no idea what God is saying to you through this passage today. But I do believe that God wants us to respond in some way. Wherever in our life that truth is getting covered up and buried by sin, wherever we're being prevented from experiencing the freedom that God has for us. God wants us to do something about that. Jesus goes on in this passage to talk about how He has the power to forgive us, to take away that sin, because as the Son of God, He has the authority. He is the only one that can reach into our lives and forgive us and give us new life and new hope and a new day. I've got a good friend up in Columbia who went through a lot of stuff in his marriage and in his family life. He got uh, involved in in alcoholism, um, got involved in pornography, and he was so close to losing everything. But one day he made the decision. One day he said, okay, there's no freedom in my life. The truth, I've been having secrets, I've been trying to to do this and make things work, but this is no way to live. And finally he had the guts to have a conversation with his wife and be honest with her and tell her what was going on. He had the guts to find support for people that could help him in a healthy way move forward. And that man, it's incredible to see how God has worked in his life. His faith, his his exuberance for life, the way God works through him is contagious. It's amazing to see this man. But he was that close to losing it all. And that's the way sin works. It it sneaks up on us, buries things. So this morning, as, as we wrap things up here, I again, I have no idea how God is speaking into your life on this idea of sin and truth and freedom. But I believe that God wants each of us to do whatever we need to do to have the guts to say whatever we need to say or do whatever we need to do 
to be able to have that freedom from this day forward. So we don't live in secret, so we don't live with shame or guilt or anything like that. So in a moment when we sing our final song together, maybe a time for you just to pray quietly where you're at and say what you need to say to God and ask God to open your eyes. It may be a time where you need to come forward and there may be a secret that you've been holding on. It's just between you and God forever. And you may need to to say it out loud to somebody for the first time. James Preston and I will be up at the front. We can be here to support you, to hear that, to help you take the first step of experiencing truth and freedom. It may be an opportunity for you, you feel God speaking into your heart something else, to ask Jesus to be your Savior and the leader of your life from this point forward. Maybe you feel led to become a part of this congregation. Whatever it is, we're going to sing our final song together, and I challenge you, Don't let the moment pass without responding. God wants us to leave here as free people. Let's pray together. Dear Lord God, we thank you so much that Jesus provides us hope and forgiveness. That Jesus has the power to give us new life to forgive us of our mistakes and sins and the things that creep in so easily and before we know it, they have us bound up tight and we're no longer living freedom, but we live in secrecy and shame. God, this morning, thank you for speaking into each one of our hearts. God, please give us the strength and the bravery and the guts to respond as you want us to. Help us take the step that you want us to take today so we can experience the freedom you have for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.